Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today we're gonna, of course, talk about the battery percentage in iOS 16. Google is calling out Apple about RCS and messaging once again, and I'm staring at a brand new studio display right now. I'm gonna talk about that as well. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Collide and ZocDoc. You'll hear about them in a moment. And to join me is my fellow studio display friend, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Good, Steven. I'm wondering how soon Apple's gonna announce the Pro Display XDR or Studio Display update now that you've bought one. Probably next week, probably next week, yeah. This created Apple's initiative. They're like, oh, look, Steven bought one. It's time to announce the new one. Time to release a new version. You know, I I held out, I didn't get one for a long time, but, and, and it was supposedly gonna be couple months from order to receiving it, but they kept moving up the ship date, moving it up. And so I think from ordering to actually studio display in hand, it was it was less than a month. I think it was about maybe three weeks. And so I got the visa mount option. And we'll talk about that a little later because we've talked about it before, but hey, it's a nice display. And uh, that, that's the quick review of it. And <laughs> we'll get we'll get to the rest maybe a little later. But we have important things to talk about today, like battery percentage symbols, and RCS, the two big news for this week. Do want to mention quickly, had an interview with Christopher Lawley earlier this week. It was the last episode in the feed. He's a YouTuber. He's got over 150,000 subscribers. Really goes all in on iPad. He uses iPad for pretty much everything except for video editing. He was using LumaFusion, using Final Cut now on the Mac, but would love to go iPad only. So it was a fun interview to do with Chris. His origin from like PC gamer building his own computers to all in on iPad with a studio display. He loves Stage Manager. He had some thoughts on that. So check out that interview. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good episode. Quick shout out to those who gave us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Gino Sir from the USA said he never heard a bad episode. Very kind of you to say thank you. And Kay Salmon from Great Britain. He probably knows William, let's be honest. He says he usually listens on Spotify, but came over to the Apple Podcast app just to give us a rating and review. Appreciate that. Kay Salmon and Gino SR. Thank you. So let's talk about battery percentage. I mean, this was like the Twitter news all week. In the latest beta of iOS 16, we're on beta five. Apple actually brought back the battery percentage. There was some confusion with some listeners. They were like, the battery percentage has always been there. It's like, well, if you're still on an iPhone 8 or earlier, yes, if you turn on battery percentage, that battery percentage is always visible in the status bar, you know, no matter what. But as soon as you went to an iPhone 10 and newer, if you have any kind of modern iPhone with a notch and face ID, battery percentage was never viewable in that status bar unless you swiped down and enabled control center or open control center, then you would see the battery percentage next to the battery symbol. There was no way to have that percentage constantly viewable. So iOS 16 beta 5, Apple has now reintroduced an always viewable number for battery percentage. The design, which we could talk about in a minute, basically you see the number inside the battery icon and the battery looks full, meaning it's totally colored in for all the numbered percentages down to, I believe it's 20% when it turns red and then goes to the far side of the battery to show that you have low battery now at 20%. A lot of people were celebrating the re-edition of the battery percentage. I was kind of surprised. I was surprised that this many people really wanted it. Did a Twitter poll, a couple hundred people answered, and it's really split. Uh, the Twitter poll was split 54. Glad that the percentage is there. They're going to enable it come iOS 16. 46% said, I'm fine without seeing the percentage. I can just look in control center. Wes, tell me, how do you feel about the battery percentage? The implementation's awful, and... I don't understand the need. Honestly, if I could just remove the battery indicator completely from the status bar, I probably would because you probably don't need this. I don't, I don't understand the need to constantly have it. And for me, 
this is very much a like ableist thing to say but like anytime i see letters or words i have to read them so like subtitles on a movie or something i yeah unless i'm watching something where they're not speaking english i'll have subtitles on sure but i prefer that's why i prefer like anime dubs even if they're awful because i would prefer to see the content not the words if there's numbers in that battery indicator my eyes are gonna read it like i'm going to see it i'm gonna read that number over and over every time i open the phone yeah yeah inadvertently and it's such a distraction i can't stand it so yeah it's definitely turned off this was an interesting conversation because I, i asked legitimately do you want it and patrick tomaso he's got a great youtube channel his video about the latest Batman movie actually just hit a million views. He was saying that anytime there's a gauge where there's a specific measurement behind it, he doesn't want it obscured, meaning like a gas gauge on a car. If you look at the gauge in your dashboard, it is a range. You don't get an exact number, but you can turn on the distance to empty that many cars have as like a digital number and you get an exact mileage left for the gas in your car. For him, he always prefers to have that exact measurement. I can understand somewhat that idea of, you know, I want to know exactly what it is. But then I replied, you know, there are many things on your iPhone you don't get exact percentage, like Wi-Fi signal strength. You know, there's basically three bars for Wi-Fi and it can range from zero to 100%, but all you get is the three bars. Same thing with Bluetooth signal strength, even cellular connectivity. You get five bars maybe for cellular, you don't get an exact percentage. But when it comes to battery, I understand it's something that people have to manage depending on the phone, you know, (laughs) Albin Brook, he works at Buzzsprout, great podcast hosting. He was like, on my iPhone 12 mini, I need that percentage. And you know what? I was like, if you have an iPhone where the battery is not doing well, like a 12 mini, I totally get it. Maybe you want a percentage down to like the thousandth decimal. I don't know. (laughs) So you could just see it constantly moving. But for a modern iPhone, especially you have a Pro Max 13, I mean, you're probably going to make it through the day. And I know for me personally, like I looked at my battery the other day and the symbol, it looked like a little less than half. And I was like, that's enough information for me to say I could throw it on the charger right now if I know I'm going to be away from a charger for a while. Or I also have enough battery to kind of leave it off. And then I swiped down from the control center and it said 40% that I had 40% battery left. And it really didn't give me any more information that would have changed my decision. You know, like it was the same conclusion, either from the exact percentage or the symbol. I understand it's a preference. Uh, I guess it's good that people who want it can enable it. But like you said, I do think the implementation is pretty meh, meaning, you know, it's a full battery symbol with the number until you get down to 20%. And I don't think that's visually good. And one guy on Twitter, Brian Michael, he actually created like a different version than what Apple should have done, which is basically a progressively decreasing battery where the bar inside the battery moves with the number. And I think that's a far more useful visualization, even if you get the number, but then at least the battery symbol doesn't make you think you have 100 when you really only have 50. I think they're just doing an SF symbol trick here and they're just overlaying text on top of it, um, which makes sense. It's it's probably like a line of code. Right, right. Just throw it in there. People have been begging for it. It is insane how much reaction this has gotten on like social media. Oh, it's amazing. Like people pouring in to say wow this is great i can't wait to uh, turn this on and then they find out that the iphone 11 iphone 
12 and 13 minis don't get this feature for some reason. I mean, the 12 and 13 mini kind of makes sense because the, the notch area is already taking up all that space. You can barely fit anything in there and the battery would probably be so small the text wouldn't be readable. I don't understand the iPhone iPhone 11 being eliminated from this. But yeah, the, the iPhone, like the standard iPhone 11 doesn't get the battery indicator, but the others do, I guess. Interesting. Um, I, I don't okay. own these phones, so I can't test them. I'm just going off what I saw on the internet. Sure. Even the standard battery indicator uh, where it you know, slowly depletes during the day, I think those are just still images. They're not animated icons based on the actual battery level. They're just, they're updating every 25% or so to say, hey, this is where your battery is kind of at. It's not that granular. And that's, that's good enough for me. I just need a snapshot of this is kind of where it is. It's like on the Apple Watch, I never have the battery indicator on one of my watch faces unless... No. You know, that's super stressful. Yeah, it's just why do I need this information unless it's dying? And if it's at twenty percent, I get a notification. That's all I ever need to know about the battery. Is it about to die? Great. Right. And that's why sometimes I'll look at my watch and it's at about five percent. I'm like, oh hey, I probably should charge this before I go to bed. Well, and that's and then the Apple Watch, you know, because basic Apple guy, he he's on the same page. You know, he does not show in percentages for anything. And this is a personality thing. Like seeing the number slowly decrease throughout the day. It stresses me out. Like, I don't want to know until I have to plug it in, basically. And depending on people's use case, like if you're on the road a lot or you're traveling a lot, you might actually need to see that number because if you're going to get on a plane or something, like you want to know if you should charge it. You need that exact number. But it's stress-inducing for me. And the watch is even more so because that watch off the charger after an hour, you're going to be in the 90s still, but just knowing that percentage has gone down, like... Yeah, I don't want to see my battery percentage ever until it hits that 20%, for sure. Well, I just wanted to mention the status bar itself for a moment. Mm. The entire concept of it is it, it presents so much worthless information. I mean, that that screen real estate, people lost their mind when we got the notch and are like, I'll never, it's like, it was empty space to begin with. What was, was the clock on the old iPhone there in the middle? I, I can't remember if there was anything there or not. And if even if there was, it, it moved to the side. But now when I'm looking at my iPhone, let's see. Hmm. All right. It's telling me that I have Verizon and wireless great i didn't yeah. know that uh <laughs> i have a wi-fi connection well also uh there's a cellular bar and a wi-fi indicator so those are redundant information thanks guys for telling me that twice and a battery indicator maybe one of those is useful um almost none of them are uh if i'm connected to wi-fi i guess that's good information to know maybe if i was leaving the house a lot and i need but like if i'm not at home i'm probably on lte congratulations for letting me know that right. again it's just how much information is this really providing like what could go there and I don't want an Android status bar where there's 7,000 icons telling me that there's a Discord notification, but <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like yeah. the status bar is prime real estate for actual useful information, and there must be some kind of weird regulatory thing that requires Verizon Wireless to always let me know that they're my carrier, but I don't know. I just feel like if, if that could... Maybe that's the next step for customization. iOS 17, customize the status bar. I don't need icons. I don't need buttons to, you know, click on and go somewhere. I just, I feel like there's more important information to know. I think that's a good point. You know, the, the cellular bars when you're connected to Wi-Fi, I could certainly do without it. I have Wi-Fi calling enabled. So really that cellular signal is unused as if I'm in my house. And so I, I don't need to see that. If you're out and about, now I think the Wi-Fi symbol disappears if you're out and you're not connected to Wi-Fi. If you're not connected to Wi-Fi, it just goes away. Right. But it would be room enough to put the percentage next to the battery icon. But also on the left side, if you have your phone unlocked, you have the time and then you have the location symbol that will pop on and off as your phone is pinging location that some app 
is pinging your location in the background. Maybe it's a weather app. Maybe it's just the system location pinging it for your frequent locations, whatever it is. But honestly, like that location little arrow is on almost all the time for me, <laughs> especially when you unlock your phone because your iPhone wants to ping and see if this is a frequent location or does it need to mark this place as a place of interest so Siri can recommend it later. And that symbol's like always there. Like I could do without that too. So unlocked, yeah, because I was looking at the lock screen before. Yeah, it turns to the clock when it's unlocked and it shows your current focus mode. And I'm, I'm one of those people that is in a focus mode 24 hours a day. I, I, I'm always in one. Yeah. So it's, it's nice having that icon there letting me know like, it, maybe if one went rogue and it thinks I'm driving just because I picked up my phone too quickly <laughs> that happens so much I think that's got a that's an iOS 16 bug but yeah like that's useful information I'm fine with the clock being there I'm you know I'm, I'm probably going to pick up the phone and want to know the time even if though I'm wearing an Apple watch I'm sure everyone still does that forgetting they're wearing a watch yeah still check the phone for the time but anyway that right side tab two out of three if not all three are just useless information to me I just don't need them there maybe maybe we could see some cool stuff there in the future but uh I just I just think it's funny that people are losing their mind over a battery indicator. Yeah, but honestly, the memes, the memes have been the best. Yeah, I shared I shared an image. I don't know if you'll make this the uh, yes, show I art. Yes, yes. iOS 16, <laughs> you know, holding up the child. It's the... In the pool. Stage managers, you know, drowning. and then <laughs> Floundering the, the, in the water. Yeah. yeah, and then iPad lock screen has uh, been dead <laughs> for years underneath <laughs> the water. That, so that, that is a thing, because I'm not running the beta on my phone. I am running it on my iPad. I still feel like that lock screen... I feel that's just like why it's so sad why why do nothing why not give us widgets on the ipad lock the biggest lock screen you could have aside from a mac even if there was no widgets nothing just no customization whatsoever give me the multiple focus mode lock screen where i can press and hold and switch my lock screen image and switch focus modes that way because that is so handy yeah and it kind of again it's just that tool of i pick up my device i see the wallpaper i know which focus mode is currently active like and the ipad does nothing with any of of that so um without some shortcut help or something but yeah yeah i mean i feel like it's just a missed opportunity again it's it's where they only have five people working at apple and they they shuffled them all over to ios for this release so yeah and, and then they got that one guy working on stage manager trying to keep it afloat <laughs> So. All right. Well, that's that's a, that's a lot of minutes on the battery percentage. So that's that. L listeners, reach out. Let us know. The poll was over, but maybe we'll do another one. Ask if you're going to enable battery percentage come iOS 16. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. Remember that game Battleship when you were a kid? It's a pretty fun battle game trying to find out where the opponent's battleships are. Well, that can be fun, but trying to find a time to meet with your doctor and it feels like battleship is not great. And it feels like that sometimes, really trying to find the right day to schedule something with your doctor, especially a doctor that takes your insurance, can feel almost impossible. Well, ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find specialists and general doctors and you can make an appointment online. You never have to make a phone call, which is, to be honest, that's my favorite part of it. I use the ZocDoc app. It's free. You open it up. Whatever doctor you need, you see those patient reviews. You find a doctor that is highly rated, and you can make that appointment right there. And here in the U.S. especially, having one that takes your insurance is critical. And so you can put your insurance company, even your insurance plan, into your ZocDoc account, and it will show you the doctors that take your insurance. So go to ZocDoc.com, find the doctor that's right for you, book an appointment in person or remotely. They do telehealth appointments as well, and get an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. So go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider, download the ZocDoc app for free, Start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. You can get one real quick. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C 
ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. We have to talk about RCS because Google is literally calling out Apple directly for the messaging once again. They have a new website. This is on android.com slash get the message, dashes in between get the message. We'll put a link in show notes to this page. But this is the years-long conversation that Apple just needs, quote-unquote, to enable RCS in the Messages app, and then there'll be no more nasty green bubbles over SMS. If Apple does this, then the long messaging drought will be over. Several issues with this. You know, this website, the, the phrases and words on this website are kind of hilarious. They say in the headlines, there's a really clear solution, as though this is very cut and dry, no issues there, and everything will be safe and all this kind of stuff. RCS, we've talked about it before, Rich Communication Services, it has been around since 2007, 2008. It is a old uh, technology, I'll say, in regards to how long it's been around, but it is definitely not a standard yet. And Google is really trying to say, this is a messaging standard around the world and Apple just needs to adopt it and it'll be piece of cake. But as many people pointed out, including John Gruber, he linked to an article from Digital Trends kind of going into the details. Enabling RCS is not just a, a simple process, nor is it a catch-all and an answer to all. Just for one example, the encryption. When it comes to iMessage on Apple devices, every iMessage you send and receive is end-to-end -end encrypted and no one would be able to access those. This gets a little messy because if you have messages in iCloud and iCloud backups, those backups are not encrypted just yet. But again, a lot of rumors are saying that Apple is going to work towards encrypting iCloud backups. Once that happens, iMessage is encrypted all over. You could just turn off iMessages in the cloud and you wouldn't have to worry about it. You can have end-to-end -end encryption iMessages no matter what. When it comes to RCS, end-to-end -end encryption is basically a mess. There is encryption if you use Google's Messenger app for texting, which depending on what Android phone you have and on what carrier that phone is on, may or may not be the default messaging app, which is not simple, let's be clear. On iPhone, there's only one messaging app. That's why it's super clear that iMessage is just going to work when you go in that app. So you have to use Google Messenger, and encryption only works for one-to-one -one chats in RCS. RCS does not support group chat encryption. So anytime a third person or more added, that chat is no longer end-to-end -end encrypted. So you cannot say that RCS is just flat encrypted. And also, RCS is still tied to a phone number which one of the great things about iMessage is that you can tie it to multiple email addresses as well, which is like when kids have an iCloud account, but not a phone number yet, like my kids did for many years, that you can still use iMessage and it all works just like you would expect because it's not based on a phone number that's then tied to a carrier, which would cause or could cause complications in the future if you ever change carriers or change numbers. And so the idea that just turning on a switch for RCS that Apple would solve this whole messaging thing, I think is a little disingenuous on Google's part. And the fact that it's all on Apple to do this, I think is a little unfair as well, because carriers, because carriers, at least here in the US, also have a part to play. Every carrier calls it something different. Verizon calls it advanced messaging services. AT&T calls it something different. And it doesn't always work across carriers in all texting apps. Again, if you use the Google Messenger app, it should work. But if you have Verizon's default texting app or AT&T's default texting app on a certain Android phone, then it will not work the way it's intended. And so I think that confusion that is still surrounding RCS is why Apple has not adopted it yet in their Messages app. And I don't think they should just yet. I mean, it is not a standard and it's not 
ubiquitous even among the Android carrier world. So tell me, Wes, what do you think about this? I just see a lot of people reading headlines and repeating them to each other mostly. Um, it's just not a lot of good information is being shared. Everyone's yelling about, oh, it's encrypted. Apple should do it. Why isn't? Why aren't they doing it? Because SMS is so dangerous. Most of the planet would not have access to RCS. They would still be on SMS. If an RCS message failed, just like iMessage, it would fall back to SMS. SMS isn't going anywhere. Even if RCS was a complete, perfect, total solution, guess what? SMS would still be there. So this isn't somehow Apple wanting to hold on to an old archaic thing. We can't get rid of SMS. It's kind of like how analog television was stuck around until about 2012 and then one day they shut it off and people still weren't prepared for analog TV to get shut off. You remember having, you know, antenna rabbit ears and oh, yeah. all that, right. you know, that went away overnight and it, literally they were announcing it for, you know, a decade like this. We're moving over to the digital standard, better get a digital converter box. Like the government gave them away for free. That's how important it was. Uh, a standard that everyone used, everyone had that when the, even when they moved and plenty of time, plenty of warning still wasn't ready. SMS is even bigger than that, I would argue. There's still people who don't really use or watch television, but everyone has a phone. Um, you can't really exist in this world. Like it, so SMS is everywhere. Breaking down that fallacy, first of all, SMS isn't going anywhere. Second of all, RCS, like you said, just isn't ready for prime time. The encryption standards are don't make any sense. You know, encrypted in transit's great and all. It does prevent certain like sniffing techniques to catch things in the air, sure. But that's, again, only in certain situations, and the carrier-to-carrier -carrier communications aren't using encryption in transit, as far as I'm aware. And telling people to download a separate app isn't going to work. Like, that's the sole reason why iMessage ever got so big is because it was in the same app you went to to do text messages, and people really couldn't tell a difference other than the bubble color. And now Google's just like, oh, just download an app. Yeah, how well does that work? You know, <laughs> they've got 12 of these messaging apps and no one's using any of them. So it's just weird that Google puts the, the blame on Apple when really Google over here pushing the standard that isn't even a standard. Kind of, it's a red flag for me. What's interesting too is Apple is criticized that iMessage is a lock-in strategy. And there have been emails between, I think like Phil Schiller, Eddie Q. You know, iMessage is understood that people stay with the Apple device and the iPhone ecosystem because of iMessage. But what's interesting is that this whole RCS push from Google means you have to use the Google Messenger app for these things like end-to-end -end encryption. And so just like iMessage is locked to iPhones, this RCS experience is locked to the Google Messenger app. You know, we talked this Monday about privacy amongst companies like Amazon and what they're doing with Ring and iRobot and all that. But when it comes to being locked into a system, whether that's Apple's iMessage or Google's Messenger service, I don't know. I feel like that is uh, not equivalent. It's, it's not one-to-one. -one. We don't know how Apple will implement this either. So even if Apple right. switched on RCS, people out here, you know, yelling encryption, encryption, do you know that Apple's RCS will be compatible with the Google chat service encryption method? Like, will you be able to go to, I think it's called Android chat app that you have to download separately somehow in the Google Play Store. Why it's not in by default, they have so much junk already, just throw it on there. Anyway, like you go download this app on your Android phone and you text a friend with an iPhone from Google chat with your phone number, does that work? Is it encrypted across to the iPhone? Will Apple be able to implement that? Um, there's no open API for this system. So I, I retweeted a developer, I don't have th that handy, but 
they were saying, I went to, you know, Google or the developers of the RCS standard and asked, like, I want to put this in my chat app. Like, how do I implement RCS with, you know, is there an API? No. Like, so developers just have no access to this. So if technically it being a quote unquote standard, other apps like Skype that have phone numbers and such that let you do these kinds of messaging things could go cross platform and allow RCS to exist, but they can't. So again, the ball being in Apple's court doesn't make any sense. If there's not even an outward facing API, Apple would have to go with like work with Google engineers to get this implemented. It just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I'm not even sure how tying the same phone number to both an RCS platform and iMessage, you know, if that's complicated, you know, I'm not sure. But in the FAQ sections on Google's page, I think this is funny. In one of the lines, Google says, if Apple upgraded SMS to RCS, texting issues between iPhones and Android phones would be fixed, period. Yeah. No more qualifications or or details there. Hand waving. And that's, that, is a, that is an oversimplification of the issue that I think might speak to Android users and be like, yeah, they should just do that and it would be fixed. And it's like, there's actually a lot more underneath that statement yeah. about t- the, just texting between iPhone and Android phones, then just it would be fixed. The Google marketing machine is really hard at work here and, and it's working. The, the um, usual people who spout these things who are really fighting hard, uh, like just this is just one of those easy, low bar Apple sucks kind of situations and uh, where people are going to step in and be like, yeah, Apple's terrible. They should fix this. And, um, but when you actually dig into it, it's just, it's so much more complicated and messaging is such an important thing. You can't mess this up. You can't mess around. Apple is this company who's, you know, I sure they, they mess around with things and things do break, but they are the company who prides themselves on. It just works. Imagine updating your iPhone iOS 16 and suddenly iMessage is like, we have three messaging standards, uh, you know, blue, green, and red, right, for RCS. Now people have to contend with the fact there's three different options. How do you know which one's going to show up when? Are we expecting regular people to see that, like, that different color text bubble for RCS and know that it's encrypted? Do they need a purple bubble now for the encrypted RCS and a red bubble for the non-encrypted RCS? Right. You know, it, it, it gets so much more complicated for the user that people forget that we still have to market this to regular normal folks. And then on top of all of that, educating people on this is going to be impossible. Let me just go ahead and just put it that way. Like no hedging around it. Uh, average people are just either not going to know or not going to care. And that's fine. They don't need to. That's the point. It should be invisible. Like iMessage encrypting these messaging systems and whatnot is, is very important. And people deserve to know exactly when their messages are safe. Yeah. And RCS doesn't really give us that kind of confidence. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is the video that Google has at the top of their website, one of the lines that they say is RCS pretty much does everything iMessage can, but for every other device. And I would say that line is disingenuous. Like that is just not true, especially with the addition of unsending and editing messages, encryption for group chats, end-to-end encryption outside of like the Google messaging app, but, but also like stickers, tap backs, all the other features that Apple is building into messages, like the shared with you and those suggestions showing. You're missing the most important thing. Will What's I that? be able to play my iMessage games with Android <laughs> users? No, <laughs> you will not. But that is another thing. I mean, that's a thing. And so I just think that statement that RCS pretty much does everything iMessage can, that is a quote from their video, is false. And I think those are the kinds of lines 
that will get people thinking a certain way and it's it's with a false idea like it's just not it's not right so anyway i mean they're they're really pushing hard again they're doing this because iowa 16 is coming out there's no sign of rcs adoption in iowa 16 so it'd be at least another year if apple ever does rcs and i'm inclined to say like rcs is not ready and so i don't think apple's going to do it this year probably not next year either to to be clear I'm all for it. Give us new standards. I don't really like, I'm not against RCS. I don't care if it's Google or Amazon, whoever's pushing it. Give us a good standard that actually can replace SMS. Like, you know, don't pull the rug out from under people and just be like, well, if you have SMS, you just can't talk to this person anymore unless you download Facebook Messenger or something like, yeah, don't do that. But if they're like SMS exists on really old communication lines and systems, if we can somehow create a universal standard that can downgrade to that system and up be fully compatible down there all the way up to internet standards with like iMessage, that would be a truly universal system that could step in and fundamentally replace sms convert on the fly you know all that kind of stuff whereas rcs like that great xk xkcd or is that an xkcd comic uh where they say uh, here's the new standard that's going to fix everything and now there's three standards right just xkcd 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 comic yeah there we go yeah it's just a series of letters and consonants anyway like it's just another standard that's going to fix everything but it turns out it's just another standard and it's not going to fix anything if anything it's going to make it more complicated so go back to the drawing board work out a way to make this actually make sense actually replace sms and a future where we don't need that older technology anymore because as long as we're introducing standards that still fall back on the old stuff there's really no point i mean yeah the middle ground's even safer sure but with so many caveats and if people are having to ask questions on whether or not their messaging is safe you've failed that's it yeah and also i would argue that it's still not open in this current implementation because you have to use google's messenger app on whatever android phone to get this at least one-to-one conversations end-to-end encryption. And so I would argue it is not a standard yet. All right, so let's talk about something fun though, because I got a new studio display and I wanted to talk about it for a few minutes. I know this is a couple months old. Wes had his studio display pretty much, you get it like on launch, right? Didn't you order it right away? Yeah, I got the launch day uh, somehow. Yeah, that's pretty nice. So, you know, if you waited, there were longer and longer wait times, but the ship times have been getting better. I had a couple of listeners tweet at me saying they've actually been able to buy it and then pick it up the next day in an Apple store. Depending on what model, no store is really carrying the Visa mount, which is what I wanted. And so got the Visa mount. I was replacing my 24-inch LG 4K ultra-fine display, which the panel was fine. But as you've probably heard, the, you know, the hardware design, the enclosure of the ultrafine display is all plasticky kind of nasty does not have a built-in webcam and the speakers are pretty much horrendous the ultrafine speakers on the at least on the 24 inch at least on the 24 inch that i had if i tried to push the volume past like halfway it would immediately distort and sound terrible and so my justification was had the ultrafine for a number of years wanted to get an actual 5k 27 inch display been thinking about getting some studio monitor speakers for the desk now that i'm in this home studio and i was like maybe i could just use the speakers on the studio display and see how that works and i would love to not have to worry about a webcam on top i know that was one of the most controversial things about the webcam but so let's let's do it let's try it doing the swap from the ultrafine to the studio display was super easy on the visa arm that i had just unscrewed the plate from the back of the ultrafine, put it on the studio display, slided it on. Fits just right in the desk setup. Physically, it wasn't that big of a difference of the monitor, so didn't have to like move anything around. So that was really nice. The included Thunderbolt cable 
is pretty short, I will say, and I was worried that it wouldn't be long enough to actually snake down the arm that I have clamped to my desk, but it was just long enough. I do think Apple should include a longer Thunderbolt cable with the studio display, just saying that. Got it hooked up. It was a software update 15.5, did that, and it looks really good. I mean, the display is beautiful, really like it. Actually having like native scaling is really nice. Extra screen real estate at 5K, really nice. And just two quick things, the speakers and webcam. I will say the speakers are very good. Ultrafine blows that out of the water. Ultrafine speakers were terrible. Speakers, I think on this are good enough where I'm not gonna get additional speakers for the desk. They sound really good just for editing video and listening to podcasts, plenty good for that. And the most controversial take, the webcam. I've actually been testing several webcams. I have a Logitech Creator webcam. I actually got the Opal C1, which is you have to get on a wait list and it's this 4K high-end webcam. It's supposed to be the webcam to end all webcams. So I actually have one of those as well. And then the Studio Display webcam. I think I might do a video just kind of directly comparing the three, but I will say the webcam on the Studio Display is good enough where I'm not gonna keep any of those on top of the Studio Display. The Opal C1, might look a little better. It is 4K resolution, but honestly, I've been struggling with the Opal C1 software. It is not focusing well, and I have to constantly manually focus that. I can't trust the autofocus. The white balance is really wonky. I could never dial in the white balance just right, and the studio display does that all better. The focusing, the center stage, white balance, the color looks good, and I don't get that crazy like artifacting. Now, I do use some of the studio lighting on some calls, just because it lights my face and uh, I would have a really bad like silhouette kind of thing with the window. But the camera's pretty good and it's, it's good enough for me. And so I really like studio display, Be sticking with it, not gonna use an external webcam or speakers. It's gonna serve my needs for both of those. Yeah, I mean, my setup is similar. I don't have any, you know, desktop speakers or anything. I have HomePods in my office mounted to the wall, and that's nice. I usually just have some kind of music playing on those throughout the day. With my iPad setup, I'll usually have like CNBC or something on an iPad at low volume. So I have multiple audio sources coming at me, but that's not, I, I don't really get, overwhelmed by audio too much so i'll have that going and sometimes i'll even have like one of andrew's videos open on the studio display because i need it for an article or something and have all of that blasting at me at the same time but yeah the speakers are good enough effects that they have for some like dolby atmos stuff is interesting not necessary it works um it is noticeable but it's it's fine definitely just better than nothing like uh, my last monitor just didn't have internal speakers so i did have to rely on uh, i actually have a beats pill plus that i just audio um, jacked into the old monitor to use for uh, speakers um, but this is definitely much better than that as far as just you know needing sp speakers in a pinch yeah. the camera i'm with you it's it's not the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, like some people treat it, it's not great. I also work in a cave, um, dark wood paneling, uh, dim lighting. It's unless I painted all the walls white and lived in a void or something, there's no way to get this room any brighter. And the studio display definitely struggles with the lighting conditions. But yeah, if I needed to look better, I would just pull out my iPhone and use that continuity camera feature. Right. It's it's fine enough that if like for some reason I was on a FaceTime call on my Mac, like it would be fine. I'm not worried about it. Right. Um I, I did want to bring up though, um, I'm on the beta, only have a beta Mac connected to the studio display. I can't update my monitor. Really? It doesn't surface in system preferences. So I go to system preferences and updates and it's like your Mac is at the latest update. So something somewhere is broken. Like I look through other places like at the studio display, like about section and display settings 
everywhere trying to find like, how do I force this thing to update? Can't do it. So I think I'm still on 15.4 until Apple figures out how to, you know, update other stuff on their system, um, which is fine. I didn't really run into those weird audio issues. Um, sometimes the audio doesn't come out of the studio display. It comes out of the MacBook, but I think that's a beta issue, not necessarily a studio display issue and it worked. And yeah, I, I can just unplug the Thunderbolt connector and plug it back in and I'm, I'm back in business. Uh, I just, I just thought that was funny that like the new system preferences just has no way to update the studio display. If you want a studio display, your chances are increasing that you can get it quickly. And this, this one came pretty quick. I like the visa mount, you know, it's cheaper than the tilt and height adjustable. And then a Visa arm, you can adjust it all kind of which way. So, you know, aesthetically, maybe not as pleasing, but the way my office is set up, it, it works out really good. Arms just kind of disappear. I do have to ask, if Apple announces a new monitor, studio display, or better, like what is going to have to happen for you to update this monitor? I mean, I never even considered the Pro Display XDR because of the cost. Right. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to spend that much on a monitor. So if there was a monitor that came out in the next 30 days that was a little better than this like let's say $2,500 for a 27 inch 5k with ProMotion. I might consider seeing if I could return this and getting that but even that would be tough like I really I have never bought a monitor at this price you know what I mean like the LG yeah me neither this is yeah. so expensive yeah the LG 4k I actually bought renewed and that one was like four or $500 renewed, which was actually a really good deal for that monitor. The display is pretty comparable. Like the, the actual panel of the ultrafine monitor was good. I didn't have to worry about creaking or anything because it was actually on this Visa arm. And if not for the speakers of the studio display, not having to have a webcam on top, the 4K ultrafine was, was really good. You know, and I, I wasn't too concerned about upgrading it. And so it would really take a lot more so the cheaper price of a better feature that would tempt me away from it because I, I, I don't know I guess I do video editing but I'm not doing like reference style filmmaking or right. any kind of deep graphic design where I'm really getting into like pixel perfect editing and because I don't have that kind of need for a display it's really hard for me to justify a higher cost display so that I would probably never get a pro display XDR yeah my thought is well first of all Apple's not going to update this monitor um, frequently. I mean, if anything, maybe on a two-year cycle, if we're lucky, uh, probably closer to five years, just because the technology in it is already so good. I mean, think five years ago, what monitors look like. Is this, like, this technology is, you know, honestly still on par unless something crazy changes in the way Apple makes their notebooks or their iMacs. I don't see them needing to upgrade the monitor. But new studio display, like Bump, would probably be Oh, it now has HDR. It probably gets up to 800 nits of brightness, you know, a little bit brighter, more color, stuff like that. And it'll probably be the same price, maybe a new processor for whatever reason. That's the kind of upgrades you should expect for a studio display. And if it was something like that, it would be very difficult for me to, to consider. I would like HDR, so I'd probably do it and eat the money and be real sad. But uh, the pro display, that thing, yeah, I'm never going to touch that unless I just win the lottery or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone clamoring for, oh yeah, the next studio display, it's going to be, you know, they couldn't do it now because, uh, whatever supply chain issues that, but the next one, it'll definitely have a uh, mini led and pro motion and all that. And I'm like, man, 
No way. No, not, not for under $3,000 and maybe not even under $5,000. That, that thing you're describing is the next pro display XDR. Yeah. That'll release with the next Mac pro. And if you really need those features, go spend $5,000. But I think I'll be completely fine with my studio display for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Same. And the nice thing is if you upgrade your Mac or if some Mac studio comes out a year or two from now, and I really want that, just connect it to the studio display I already have. And it's plenty good. 5k retina, you know, and ProMotion, I, I really do not notice it on a screen this big. And because most of the time when I'm working on a Mac, I'm not doing a ton of scrolling all the time. You know, I do scroll back and forth between like a final cut timeline or whatever, but I'm not needing to read anything in that timeline as I scroll it. I'm really just at a glance getting to a point in the timeline to make an edit or whatever. And so ProMotion, not a huge deal. And even Twitter, like I scroll that, but it's not a big deal. Promotion is a nice to have no matter what. Like even for gaming and stuff, it's a nice to have. You're not really sure. getting anything substantial. It's not changing the way you work uh, having 120 hertz refresh. Maybe there's someone out there that watches golf and needs to see every you know other frame of the ball flying through the air. I don't know. But it doesn't really give you anything um, th- while you're working. I mean, especially if you're writing. You know, you're looking at a static page, writing static text. Yeah. It's just one of those things where... I question the need for it. I mean, again, if it's there in a monitor that I'm going to buy, I'm not going to complain that it's there. Like the iPad, like I love that it's there. It's a good feature. Like with the iPad mini, I'm not sitting here thinking it's broken or wrong because it's not there, but that's just me. Yeah. And this episode is brought to you by Collide. If you're considering a third-party audit like SOC2, then you should be prepared to answer some tough questions about endpoint security. Auditors want to know that you have a system in place to monitor and maintain compliance across your fleet, which means showing that your employees are using things like disk encryption, screen lock, and password managers. If you're not quite sure how you'd go about proving all that, well, then you need Collide. Collide is an endpoint security tool for Mac, Windows, and Linux devices and does things that mobile device managers can't. Plus, it gives you the visibility you need to meet your third-party and internal compliance goals. Best of all, Collide doesn't resort to surveilling employees or locking down devices. Instead, it works with your end users to resolve those issues. For instance, if one of your users, let's say, saves some passwords to a text file on their desktop, well, it's not great for security or compliance. And so Collide will actually send them a message in Slack directly and privately to tell them you actually should save that somewhere else and will give them the steps they need to be secure and private. So meet your security goals and pass your audit without compromising on privacy. Visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to find out how. And when you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. Free trial free goodie bag you can't lose. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Collide dot com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, I want to just run through quickly these rumors and then we can comment on them. But Mako Takara said that the new iPads, when they come out, will actually use a new four-pin connector instead of the three-pin smart connector to connect to things like the folio or the magic keyboard most notably probably for the ipads that'll be interesting german is saying large homepod might be coming out early 2023 and an updated homepod mini could be coming this fall he was also saying that the iphone 14 event is recording right now that apple is producing that video now even saw a rumor this morning that a event could happen as early as september 7th which is actually a wednesday And that would be something for an event on a Wednesday. That would be something to have a first week of September iPhone event. And then Quo had a couple rumors saying that AirPods might get USB-C next year and that the iPhone 14 
would be more expensive. That one, I'm not surprised. So of all those rumors, I would say, of course, I'm excited for a larger HomePod. I've been on a HomePod mini buying freeze. I was considering buying another mini for a room, but with all these rumors about new HomePod minis and fall time will probably be when Apple updates it. Been frozen on any HomePod mini buying. Want to wait till a new version comes out. And I think the, the most interesting of these rumors too is this iPad new smart connector. It would be unfortunate if new iPads would then break compatibility with the older Magic Keyboards necessitating having to buy all new accessories like a Magic Keyboard or Folio Keyboard. So that would be unfortunate. And I would also be curious what that new smart connector brings as far as feature-wise to make it an attractive upgrade. If it's wireless charging in some way or some new kind of charging, but I'd be interested to see what Apple does with that. Any thoughts on any of those? Well, a new smart connector, you know, we right now we can plug in a USB port to the Magic Keyboard and charge, but maybe in the future there'd be two USB ports on the Magic Keyboard and we could do data and charging. True. Maybe, maybe limited data, like five gigs per second. I don't know how fast these smart connectors could go. You know, it would be useful. It, I, I wouldn't be against it. Um, I don't really use that feature that often. I mean, when I'm in the Magic Keyboard, I'm using it as a laptop. I'm not near an outlet, but uh, it is handy having it there. But a new smart connector wouldn't kill me. Uh, I would feel bad for anyone bought, who bought a Magic Keyboard within the last year. But since I bought one day one, it's been long enough that, yeah, sure, a, a new $350 keyboard would, would not be great. But at the same time, I'm not going to. It's probably time for an upgrade anyway. Maybe they'll have a cool color. I don't know. <laughs> a blue one would convince William to get it. That's that's what he's waiting for. Yeah, blue. I don't. I don't know. I'm I'm weird about like my laptops and stuff. I don't know if I want blue, but I'd have to see it anyway. Yeah. HomePods. I'm with you. I, I want more. I think I want a couple more HomePod Minis, but I want to see if we get any this fall. Big HomePods. As soon as they announce those, I'm going to just blow a bunch of money and get a, and replace my old ones because these things are definitely getting creaky yep. but yeah I'm, I'm i'm here for it I, we keep hearing about these larger home pods i don't know if that's just because it, it makes sense that apple would do it or if they're actually working on it but it keeps getting pushed back further and further i just want to see apple do something in this space i mean yeah matter and home kit and everything's going to be a big time this fall like a big thing this fall why not take advantage of that and say, hey, you know, you're buying all these new home accessories and you're excited about the new standards. Well, here's the brains behind all of it, a new HomePod. And um, that would make sense to me, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be at least not soon before we see some of these. Yeah. Did you see the uh, renders uh, or the uh, CAD files for the iPad, the 10.2 inch iPad? Yes. Base model might be getting the flat edge design like the Air and the Pro. Yeah, what what do you think about that Frankenstein, right? Because it's 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 a flat edged <laughs> iPad and it has a pill shaped camera like the iPhone ten. Sure. The front face plate is it's it's new. It's unlike any other iPad I've seen because it's not necessarily even the air because the top and bottom bezels are as thin as they can possibly be. Like the bottom bezel gives just enough space for the home button, and but so I think this is a completely new panel as well, at least according to these diagrams. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would make sense for the entire iPad line to have the same flat edge design. You know, before the flat edge was introduced in 2018 with the Pro, pretty much all the iPads did have the same body style, whether it was the iPad mini, the iPad or iPad Air, and then the iPad Pro. Like, you couldn't tell too much aside from screen size what made them different. And so it makes sense for Apple to try and get back to that. My question then would be the differentiation between the base model and the Air and then the Air and the Pro. Because right now, the Air and the 11-inch Pro are very similar, except for ProMotion and Thunderbolt connector. And then if a base model was redesigned, would it just be the chip and maybe 
the uh, laminated display that, you know, a little higher end on the air, you know, an A16 chip and an M1 is pretty similar. So I don't know. Yeah, price would be a pretty significant differentiator. And the um, the chip in this iPad would be the A14, apparently. Oh, that's right. So that's it's not right. going to ha- it wouldn't have the newest chip or anything. Um, definitely nowhere near an M1 or an A16. But um, interesting thing here is, yeah, it would be the price because the iPad Air starts at, I think, $600, right. $599. So I, this redesign, it, it makes me think a lot of the MacBook Air approach. I I think this is exactly what they're going to do with the new iPad Gen 9 version from last year will still be for sale for 329 because they they got to get that price point for for education. education yeah but a redesign is going to be expensive uh, no matter how they cut it, especially if all the parts are new. Like everything about this thing looks different from every other iPad. They can't someone said it might be an 11 inch display so they might be able to use the body from an 11 inch iPad Air mm. but the again the camera module is different so like these things would have to be recut and then it's just it's different enough that it's definitely going to cost them some money so this thing's not going to be 329 but i could see you know 400 dollars. so just to keep that price low that's a 200 hundred dollar price difference to the ipad air so there's a reason why this would exist and a reason you know to keep it cheaper and and lesser parts and I i do think the redesign could then mean apple could sunset the original apple pencil with the lightning connector and go all in on the magnetic second generation apple pencil maybe we get introduced a third generation apple pencil and then they could just say use this on any ipad same pencil for everybody's it makes sense that they would do that because getting apple pencil 2 support on this new ipad would make sense just because it would have the same connector and people who already have pencils would just be able to to have this tablet but um moving from the old ipad to the new and losing gen 1 support completely that means you just have a useless pencil so i just wonder um if apple's going to do anything for that there just bringing along a gen 3 pencil with the automatic switching like the uh, crayon has and the magnetic charging um, of this gen 2 i think that would make a lot of sense yeah well excited for new apple events i mean it's been a, a number of months since wwdc and i am ready for some apple events yeah. some apple news some apple devices i'm spend, excited spend some money yeah even even more after the studio display but you know iphone i do the monthly uh the iphone upgrade program and then other than that i mean i'm not in the market for a mac i got a mac studio right here i'm good there i do want some airpods pro 3 that is kind of the one thing aside from the iphone that i'm really looking out for any updated ipad they do an m2 ipad pro I'll be on that. It's real quick. So Apple Podcast, they updated their social tool for creators, which is pretty cool. So you can create automated graphics or create, you can generate social graphics now, not only for episodes and podcasts, but for entire channels on Apple Podcasts, which is pretty cool. And there's a new agreement they made with Future Studio, which has the criminal justice series Suave. And so good to see the Apple Podcast even going more into some of the original content, but not exclusive content, which is what I like. You can get their shows like The Line and other Apple Originals on whatever podcast app you want. It's not exclusive, but it is an Apple original. This is in comparison to Spotify's exclusive show model. So anyway, uh, I saw that Apple was in discussion with a podcast studio for buying out their content to make more TV plus series, which is, looks interesting because yes. I, I know there's a few shows I didn't realize were podcasts before, but like uh, the uh, Will Ferrell Trink Next Door was uh, right. uh, one of like a Gimlet series like that was awesome. I love seeing that uh, played out on on TV, and I I, I would I want to see more podcasts get that treatment too. I think that's kind of fun for sure. Yeah, and then finally, just some streaming news: HBO Max app has now added SharePlay. So if you want to share play with that, also Disney Plus is going to be up 
Disney Plus is going to be increasing the price of their streaming service from $8 to $11 a month. Not a huge jump, but they are going ad-supported for that $8 a month tier. I really hope that Apple never does that ad-supported tier for TV Plus. I don't think they would, but man, it just seems like more and more streaming services are going that route. TV Plus is already basically free. I mean, there's so many promotions. There's a promotion right now if you have an Apple card, you can get three months of Apple TV Plus for free as long as you're not Apple One subscriber because they don't like us. Like if you're subscribing to Apple One, I mean, Apple TV Plus probably averages out to less than $3 a month. It's just one of the... like. I don't see them doing ads because it's already so cheap and raising prices would scare the already tepid audience away. Yeah. So last thing, Ben Stiller, who was the producer and director, I believe, of Severance, the Apple TV Plus original series that was very popular, lots of Emmy nominations. It was interesting because Ben Stiller revealed in an interview with Decider that Apple does not reveal viewer numbers even to him, Ben Stiller, the producer director of this show. They'll show graphs with peaks and valleys of, you know, when viewers are watching or after episodes and you can see general trends and they'll tell you, yeah, the show's doing really well, but they will not reveal exact viewer numbers, which I think is fascinating. So tell me what you think. It's funny that he brings this up because this isn't like um, an original thing. Like we've, we've actually known this. If you pay attention to the streaming industry, everyone does this. Uh, Netflix creators, Stranger Things, like they know that they're like this ultra popular show. They have no idea how many people are watching unless Netflix puts out like a press release. Right. Like creators of a lot of shows just have no idea. Uh, This is true in HBO, CBS, Showtime, all these like streaming services. The creators are just like, yeah, we're making shows uh, hanging on by the seat of our pants. No idea how well it's doing because they won't tell us if it's renewed for a new season. They won't tell us how many people are watching. So we have no idea if we should be prepared for a series finale or a season finale and it's crazy right. and uh you know ben stiller saying this true it makes sense i mean apple has to remain competitive so they're following the bandwagon here um i just wanted to bring this up too because just hearing these behind the scenes things is always fun um i, I learned recently that i think this was from that upstream podcast yep with jason snell um the woman who created dickinson actually said told apple i want a physical copy of dickinson like on blu-ray and so she is in possession of the only physical copy of dickinson um so if it ever disappears from the internet or something at least the creator has access to it because there's no way to get it physically and that that goes to the fact of and i know we don't have time but (laughs) like batgirl getting uh completely decimated and removed from existence before it could even air even though they were in the final editing phases so it's it's just interesting watching the internal politics of streaming uh play out yeah and and like rights to digital purchases is interesting this hasn't happened recently but i know like in the past there's been news of even if you had purchased a movie on said platform whatever it was that i I think this might have been if you had purchased it in itunes there was a movie that apple lost licensing for or didn't have access to anymore And so you could not stream that movie, even though you had bought it, quote unquote, purchased it outright, which is kind of a wild thing when you think you're buying something for $20, like buying a movie, not necessarily guaranteed to always be accessible forever, as opposed to something like a Blu-ray disc, where as long as you have a working Blu-ray player and that Blu-ray disc, no one can ever remove access to playing that, you know, especially if it's like a dumb player that doesn't have access to the internet. So it's an interesting issue. All right. And one last thing before we go, I wanted to ask you, did you watch Luck? Because it was one of the most heavily advertised Apple things that they've done in a long time. I just, you know, it was was huge. I cannot turn on my Apple TV without seeing the teaser and trailer, but I have not watched the full thing yet. Have you? 
Yeah. Um. Actually, um. Me and my girlfriend sat down to watch it. She's a huge, you know, Pixar, Disney aficionado, like sure. just in love with all that stuff. So this looked interesting, and the you know John Lasseter attached to it, controversial, whatever. But um, like the movie itself, it was cute. The animation was stunning. Like this is definitely Pixar good animation. Yeah, fluid, well made animation, colorful, bright. The only thing that we could critique that like that, and if you look at Rotten Tomatoes right now, it's very middling. It's a 50% movie, um, which doesn't really say much because Rotten Tomatoes is weird. But uh, like I would recommend anyone who likes Pixar, go watch it. Anyone who likes okay. animated stuff, go watch it. It's a good film. It's fun. But the thing that hangs itself up, and this, this is evidence of the fact that John Lasseter admitted when he got there, they tore the whole thing down. He said literally, not even to the foundation, but to the parking lot is what he said, <laughs> um, and rebuilt it because the original story was about the forces of good luck and bad luck going to war with each other or something. It was nonsense. So this is a completely rebuilt movie. So a, a secondary script. And what happens a lot with these secondary scripts is the story gets kind of muddled and you can tell that the writers really struggled to get the characterization of why you need to care about the world of luck out there so they spend a lot of time talking about it exposition talking between the characters about these like explaining how the world works and it kind of drags the movie down but beyond that great characters beautiful animation definitely recommend it okay well there you go well, i'm gonna have to check it out luck apple tv plus original movie they got lots of originals coming out soon and the for all mankind season finale actually airs Friday evening as you listen to this episode. So excited for that. Yes. Been following yep. that one faithfully. Very exciting. Well, listeners, well, listeners, thanks for joining us. If you take a moment, give us a five-star rating review in Apple Podcasts. We'd love to give you a shout out at the top of the show. You can support the show, get an ad-free version and early access in Apple Podcasts directly or at patreon.com slash Apple Insider. Check out HomeKit Insider. That's me and Andrew O'Hara talking about smart home and HomeKit devices every Monday. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.